Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode 93. We are now in season four and I am your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy. I am a co-host and a content creator. As you know, we like to bring you interesting discussions with diverse voices in these deep dives, both new and returning. And we have both today. So our new guest is Tom Bradstreet, who is the community manager at Into Games. Tom, welcome to your first episode of the show. Hiya, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited and probably going to talk a lot. So if I'm going on, just tell me to be quiet. <laughs> no, that's fine. It makes our job much easier uh, if you do want oh, awesome, to talk, awesome. frankly. And uh, this is the first episode, so I don't want to overstretch myself, to be honest. So yeah, if you want to... Fantastic. Okay, I'll, I'll be your host today then. Do you want to swap? Oh, yeah, or, like... just, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just be in the corner. Uh, you guys take cool. it from here. Um, our returning guest is, I was going to say returning champion, that's what crossed my mind, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the blue corner is the MyMatter co-founder, the, the shadow MyMatter co-founder, I think we're going with, I'm going to say that loud, welcome back. Hey, hey everyone, great to be back. Yeah, looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, I feel this is going to be an interesting and talk about diverse. I feel we're going to have a range of opinions on this one. So, so Lau was last with us on episode number 79, where we discussed Free Guy, which is a very surprising, at least for me, surprising film um, and very enjoyable uh, film with Ryan Reynolds, uh, who's great. I uh, love Ryan Reynolds. So, all right, let's not turn this into a Ryan Reynolds uh, love fest. But uh, remind people, you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, and wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also send your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Throw them at us on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamada TV on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on all the above. Uh, you can also join our Studio 77 Discord to be part of the My Matter universe, meet others in the community. Uh, we're working on growing our community. I'm going to be stealing some ideas from from Tom because he knows what he's doing. Uh, we'll do that off podcast. You can also consider becoming a Studio 77 member to support the work we do at My Matter and get exclusive access to events and artwork like our last comic. Our members got that uh, digital copies of that. So yeah, consider that. Before we get into today's story discussions, let's update you with the latest from the MyMeta universe. So it's been a little while since we've uh, done, we ended season three. Uh, we're now here season four. A lot has happened. Uh, I won't go through all the fine details. Uh, that will be a whole podcast in itself. But want to let people know that our latest manga series, Through the Fog, is now available. It's done uh, as of November 2021 standard and collector's editions are available on our website and hopefully COVID dependent at comic conventions this year because I think that will be a thing uh, this year so definitely check that out it's one that is um, inspired by the pandemic uh, taking that story putting Blake and his team in that scenario and having them deal with some of the similar uh, situations that we've all unfortunately had to uh, deal with but in a story that focuses on the positive lessons and outcomes in situations such as these i've also in between the the break uh, decided to start a new series called casual conversations with comic creators uh, so i'm going to be speaking with a different comic creator uh, every month and this month i spoke with rachel smith about her new release 
which is called Wired Up Wrong. So she's a comic creator and illustrator from Manchester. And yeah, we had a chat. She's been on the podcast uh, before as well. So we got to kind of have her catch up, uh, see what she's been up to uh, and get her thoughts on the process of creating stories uh, and what her new work entails. So you can see that interview on Twitch VOD, maybe Twitch keeps it for 14 days. I can't do the maths on when we spoke and what day it is today. But if it's not there, we will have highlights on our YouTube uh, channel and then Studio 77 members will be able to access the interview uh, after it does disappear from Twitch. Uh, so this month, we're also going to be doing uh, some activities. So we have the Story Club is coming back. We are going to be doing a deep dive into the recently or relatively recently released Psychonauts 2 and we're going to be joined by mental health gaming charity Gaming the Mind. So we're going to be doing a live stream uh, deep dive on February the 17th from 7pm so you can join us for that on the My Matter Twitch. Uh, we are also going to be bringing back the Games Night. Uh, so I'm going to put this out there. I think Knockout City is an option for our Games Night. We're going to be playing something Thursday, February the 24th. So last Thursdays of each month, we're going to be doing that from 7 p.m. Uh, with other Studio 77 members. And you can watch us get to grips with different games uh, and just figure figure stuff out live. Uh, and you can also check out our past uh, Games Night uh, escapades. Uh, so we've been playing like Roblox, Fortnite, Rocket League, other games as well. Yeah, just come see us uh, learn to play games, basically. Uh, that's what it's all about. And a little further out, we just had our first Gamepad event of the year and Gamepad Online event of the year. And on April the 9th, uh, we are going to be having our second Gamepad Online event of the year. And you can watch that live on Twitch. It's hosted by Tazzy. We will be bringing our Friendly Fire competition, more industry interviews uh, and giveaways. You can sign up for Teams if you want to take part in our competition so it's a friendlier esports like competition uh, so it's open to all doesn't matter if you think you can or can't compete um, you probably can because it's not about being the absolute best just taking part and enjoying it uh, so we'll be streaming more interviews and a panel most likely at that so the idea is to bring you closer to the people who bring us the games that we enjoy as always the event is free and we'll be doing a giveaway in our discord on the day so get a ticket join us live and the last thing that we have to mention that we can actually mention is our do i look like a gamer representation campaign which we have finally 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 launched because this is something uh tazzy and i have been talking about planning in some shape or form for the best part of, I don't know, two years now. Well, since the pandemic, pretty much. It's still so weird that we're like, it's out and we can actually talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I was, at, I was at a session, a workshop session today, and uh, some of the other two has mentioned, oh yeah, and Nigel has this campaign. I'm like, wait, what, how did you hear about that? I'm like, oh yeah. You're like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did like, the whole live stream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the Do I Look Like a Gamer representation campaign is about promoting inclusion and diversity in the video games industry. So we have gathered 40 people in and around games to showcase the diversity that does exist in video games and hopefully inspire future generations to see that there is a place for them in this industry. So we did a launch live stream uh, on Saturday. Well, Saturday, as you're listening to this on the day the podcast comes out, you can catch the live stream, um, well, the VOD on Twitch 
and we'll be putting up highlights on social media on our YouTube because we have a we had a range of guests and yeah it was just great to hear people's kind of thoughts on on the issue a lot of advice a lot of like really good points were made so we're going to share that but we also have uh, some events coming so this is especially important if you are a young or aspiring games professional uh, you want to get in, involved with the campaign and the events over spring so we've got a few things we have a careers roundtable uh, for young people and parents who support those uh, wanting to make their way into games uh, we've got a uh, family games design jam so opportunities to learn more about the game design process and uh, networking with ice cream is is the plan so we're going to be uh, encouraging some networking and that's an important skill like non-technical skill um, i think that's important for people who want to make it in any industry but uh, games for sure so we are going to be talking more about this because we can now uh, there'll be a link in the show notes so we've got a website separate website for the campaign and yeah just make sure you follow us because yeah we'll be talking more about it uh, there'll be more announcements to come so that in a decent sized nutshell is uh, is what we've been up to now you're caught up with my matter let's talk about some of the stories that we've been enjoying this week so yeah i'm just gonna ask everyone to share some stories that they have been reading watching or playing in a spoiler free manner and we'll start with our newest guest tom do you want to tell us a bit about the stories you've been watching playing or reading yeah, that that that'd be great. Uh, I just wanted to really quickly say, just on on the topic of your, um, do I look like a gamer? I've just been loving following your Twitter as well and seeing all these amazing diverse faces come up across my feed every day. So just like massive kudos to to that campaign. It's really cool. Thank you. What, I, what I've been playing this week is I luckily um, managed to pick up a, an Oculus Quest Two. Over. I've been delving into Skyrim in VR, um, heavily modded. To, I've probably spent longer modding it than I have actually playing it, um, but it's it's just like the most immersive gameplay experience I've I've probably maybe ever gone through. Um, Todd Howard has thoroughly sunk his claws into me, <laughs> and I'm just just it's just completely breathtaking being able to physically walk through Skyrim and all these different holds and mountains that I played through as a kid. Um, I I think. That first night, kind of leaving White Run and walking out into into that kind of little that field area outside and going to the watchtower, I just like stood there for a little bit, just looking up at the night sky and like going, "Oh my god, those like stars are real! This is incredible!" And I I don't have like a specific story within Skyrim because the story of Skyrim is you do a like a million quests and make your character really strong it's it's more the kind of emergent narrative that is like core to skyrim skyrim's ex, uh, experience that like every player goes through that i'm just really fascinated with at the moment every quest is just so approachable so simple on a base level but just like the the reward you get out of them is incredible um i'd like to draw particular particular attention to the um mages uh, college of winterhold quest line that is incredibly fun and again experiencing it in vr is just like completely otherworldly just just yeah being being in the college and walking around and fighting the the mages and everything it's just yes yeah, it's, it's so cool and yeah to kind of ride the the coattails of that fantasy train i've also been re-watching a lot of lord of the rings those are movies i grew up with comfort films to me if you will and i i fortunately recently got covid so i've spent a lot of time inside and what better way to spend the time than just kind of 
absolutely losing yourself in a, in a world of fantasy and kind of watching all these cute little hobbits walk around and bumble about while the, <laughs> the bigger, more prominent races of the world try and make sure that the Dark Lord doesn't return. It's just... Just very enjoyable, easy to watch high fantasy, I think, has been really kind of attracting me at the moment. I've just been really enjoying experiencing those kind of stories. Yeah, it sounds like you've really uh, deep dived into the, the fantasy realms and got oh lost there. <laughs> no, there, was a real, there was a real defined moment where I was looking at my hands in VR and kind of, I forgot that I was Tom and, and not like the Dragonborn. Like, I genuinely really got into it. It's a bit scary. That sounds like a lot of fun. I've still yet to like actually play Skyrim because I did start it once and just after I, like the first initial bit, before I could even make my first save, the game crashed and I just got really salty. Uh, that sounds, time... like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like Skyrim. Every time I've gone to like restart it, I've just had like flashbacks and I've been like, I've just not prepared for this. I spent so long on my character and it's such like a long process just to get... There. I do. I do find it is like the most digestible, like open world RPG game that I that I've played anyway. I'm I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this, but for saying this, but I'm not massively into The Witcher. I found I've really struggled with playing that open world because everything was hyper detailed and massively expansive and really engaging and my little brain didn't know what to do properly but in Skyrim I can walk up to a man who says oh my journal is missing go into the mine and I go into the mine and I fight the skeletons and I come out with the journal and he gives me some gold and I just I just love that kind of that that simple level of storytelling which is it makes me feel like the main character even though mm. there's not in the great scheme of things a lot going on to me like I'm traveling into the mine. I'm gonna try and get this guy's journal back. Like that is like you. It's very like in the moment gameplay, and I just, I really appreciate that at the moment. It sounds like VR is a great way to sort of dive into it. Maybe that's like my next experience of it. Mm, with, with quests becoming a lot. I mean, it's too expensive. It's probably the price of a console, but VR is becoming a lot more affordable. And um, I've tried a, a couple of different VR setups before, and I can I can really vouch for the, the quality of the Quest, especially now they've um, unlinked it, I believe, from the whole you have to have a Facebook account for it kind of, um, not, not scandal, but kind of issue they had with it on launch. So um, yeah, very. if you can pick up Skyrim and a Quest, yeah, you're going to have one of the best gaming experiences of your life. <laughs> that's, a, that's a guarantee. Sounds good. Um, Lau, what about you? Me, I'm still playing Pillars of the Earth, which I mentioned, I think, the last time I was on. And that's a interactive novel-type game. Um, some very, uh, I would say, simple kind of puzzle elements. Um, nothing too crazy, just testing your ability to time a mouse click and that kind of thing. But um, it's really the story that's been kind of keeping me coming back. And it's... Um, it's been divided up into three chapters. So I'm actually on the second chapter, which you could look as an episodic game, I guess. And um, it follows uh, a number of people in uh, the Middle Ages who uh, live in a parish, kind of a small town as well. And um, you play different characters throughout the whole thing. So you kind of play this young man who's working on rebuilding a cathedral at one point. You play as a monk. And then you also play as a trader of sheep and whatnot and then there's just loads of drama basically the whole thing's just drama uh, throughout mm -hmm. like there's no food everyone's gonna die like what are we gonna do and then there's like all the different politics going on as they're trying to rebuild the cathedral like they need money 
and um, there's just dodgy people who have the money and it's like am I going to work with them or not because you know trying to build a church here is kind of like questionable um, so there's like all these sort of um, different decisions that you can make so um, I quite like it for that and the and it has um, some really good character design and animation so again it's one to check out it's on Steam um, oh yeah and um, for those of you that have been following the saga um, the kind of running story was you know didn't used to play games I'm playing games now so you know blah 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 anyway moving on um... <laughs> I feel like we could have like a like a, a segment where we're like Lau's update about gaming <laughs> just talk about your journey yeah this is the thing though i'm like i'm so out of date though so i, I play like um old stuff but hopefully really good stuff so yeah but that's great that... though i think that's like um people forget that like once a game exists like it forever exists and you can you can go back to it at any point like you don't have to play the most recent game to have fun with gaming yeah, exactly. And like, I guess the other cool thing is I can get them at a bargain as well. Yeah. I'm st- In my mind, when I jumped off the ship, like games were like 30 quid, maybe 50 at most. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I can kind of just sweep in right around the 30 price point for some of the games I'm interested in, which is kind of cool. Although I haven't picked up anything, um, which actually kind of leads me on to the second game that I'm playing, which is Judgment. I think it's by the same team that made uh, the Yakuza series, um, from what I understand. Um, but man, this is a really fun game. It's basically, from what I understand, an action slash uh, murder mystery game where someone's basically, well, I don't know, the story's just unfolding, so I'm right at the beginning. This is like no spoilers. Um, basically, someone's been killed. <laughs> Go figure. Um, and um, it's uh, kind of linked to the Yakuza. So you have been enlisted as a detective to try and figure out um, what happened and effectively kind of clear the name of this person that's been uh, arrested. Uh, but yeah, it just reminded me of like, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers Shenmue, that kind of environment. But uh, yeah, it's just like a really well thought out, detailed, rich kind of Tokyo city, loads of people walking around. I mean, obviously, like you can only get so real, right? But I mean, for example, like you go into the shops and everything is just like the way you'd expect it. I should point out I've actually been to Tokyo. So, um, oh, yeah, so yeah, it, it, yeah, <laughs> long time ago. I've actually got videos. I don't know. We're not here for that. But I will send some. Yeah, I will send them. (laughs) But um, yeah, it was just really fun to kind of like experience that side of it. And then you've also got the action side of it. So I think it's made by or linked to the team that did Virtual Fighter because there's like arcades and you can see like Virtual Fighter and other games like that in in the arcade. But in any case, the gameplay is kind of similar. There's a bit of a brawler, in like a street brawler, um, and people will just come at up to you randomly and start fighting you because you're maybe in their turf and then you've got like some really cool boss battles and my goodness like if you like beat-em-ups it's got like tons and tons of moves so um i've really enjoyed just kind of getting my teeth sunk into it and it's been quite good at just kind of directing you where to go and keeping you up to date despite the fact like every store has like a gazillion items that all do something 
Um, so it's so easy to kind of look at that at the beginning and just get overwhelmed. And it's like, whoa, this is like so much to do. But it's actually very well streamlined despite all of that. And if you only care about the story, you can literally just say, okay, I need to go to this location in the city and just head straight there. And then the story just continues. So again, it's a little bit like an um, interactive novel in that respect. Obviously, you still have to fight every now and again. But yeah, I'd really recommend it if anyone hasn't picked it up. So yeah, that's Judgment. And finally, um, I have been watching the amazing Spider-Man film. So I've watched the first one and I'm partway through the second. And I'm sure many people listening can guess the reason I'm watching them is because I never did. But I have seen the most recent Spider-Man film. And I was like, need to kind of catch up and figure out like, what was going on with this guy and i gotta say i feel a little bit bad for missing this because it was a really good film the amazing spider-man um i really enjoyed it and it was actually quite a human film i thought they did a really great job um i can't really comment too much on the second one because i'm only halfway through but we we had a great time watching it so i'd recommend it if anyone ever skipped that one i'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. i enjoy the amazing spider-man films so, Why don't yeah. they get more like props? This is the thing. Like it's like the Marvel effect. <laughs> like just anything Marvel will always get pitted against each other. And also like will like have this thing. It's like if it's not like the top amazing, most incredible thing, then it's bad. But well, that's my theory anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think people just, they have like two levels of judgment. And it's like, come on, it can still be good, even if it's not like your favourite Marvel film. Yeah, I think that's what might have happened here. I can't even remember what films were out around about that time, but some, something dwarfed it. I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, go check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, okay, um, I have a few because, you know, we've been on a break and obviously... That break was over like Christmas and stuff. So I've done a lot, a lot of watching. Um, so a lot of story, story uh, indulging. Um, I want to first shout out the fact that I finally, <laughs> finally finished Naruto Shippuden. It took me a while, well but I got there in the end. <laughs> I did quite enjoy like the final arcs because I sort of like touched on a few of the characters without naruto and sasuke being in them in them i mean naruto and sasuke had their own little wrap-up arcs but yeah and i thought i thought i'd finish watching this and i'd be like i'm done with naruto but actually at the end of it i was like hmm maybe i will start watching Boruto. <laughs> i don't know if i'll actually get around to it but before it was an absolute no now i'm like oh, maybe i really enjoyed that and i'm kind of already missing them i don't know why it took me so long well i do fillers but it took me so long to get around <laughs> to finish it. So moving on to my next story, I listened to Halo Halo Infinite Memory Agent, uh, which is a story podcast. Is it Halo Infinite? Well, Halo Memory Agent. I don't know. I can't remember the full name. Um, it's a story podcast on Spotify that follows a memory agent, and I can't really say more than that without spoiling it. But it's a very good, it's quite a short one. I think it's like five episodes and they're quite short. But it's a really good like additional bit of story to just like the Halo universe. Um, and it's quite an interesting time type mechanic situation. So if you're a fan of time mechanics like we are here at the podcast, 
yeah, I definitely recommend giving it just a little little listen. If you're a Halo fan, little listen. If you just fancy a short story podcast, give it a listen. It's quite it's quite a fun one. I listened to that uh, at the beginning of December because I had a flight. So that was my my nice little flight story. I also started watching Odd, Odd Taxi, which was recommended. I can't remember who recommended it. Oh, yeah. One of our guests, uh, I want to say Bountifee, our interview with uh, indie game author. I think so. It's great. It was such a good recommendation. It was right up my alley. Cool. I need to start that. <laughs> it starts off like really chill. Like you're just following this taxi driver that has like customers as taxi drivers do. It's just having like little chats with them and getting bits of their story but then but and you think it's just going to be this really chill i mean it is still really chill but the storyline like escalates and it gets really really intriguing and there's like mystery and certain things are linked and just everything sort of like intertwines and unravels at the same time and how these people's lives actually that you seem like random people that got into a taxi and then how suddenly some some of their lives actually end up uh, being linked in some way, shape or form. Something that someone's done might affect someone else's life and stuff like that, um, which I absolutely love. But it still is really chill, <laughs> even when there's like all this drama happening. Um, the way that it's, it's made is like keeps this really chill element to it. And the main character is just, He's so fascinating. He seems to like not really care about anyone, but also really care at the same time. Oh, so sweet. But yeah, there's like one big mystery the whole way through that. Yeah, you're like, okay. But yeah, definitely a great one. Great one uh, to watch. If just if you're anyone, especially if you want anime that is like not, not based around like teenagers where can you watch it uh it is or a crunchyroll original i believe um so it's available on crunchyroll and last thing i've been playing skyward sword which i did get on release but started it and then there were just so many games at that time that i was playing <laughs> and i've just been like chilling and, and playing it a bit more recently and i'm actually really enjoying going back to a linear legends of zelda game but still with I can see some of the element the like that inspired Breath of the Wild or that grew into Breath of the Wild, which is really cool. But it's, yeah, I do really, I'm really enjoying it because it's kind of like the, the brighter version of Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess is all like dark and very dark. And, and not gloomy, that's not the right word, but like broody and mm. <laughs> had that kind of aesthetic. Um, and this is like the the opposite and that it's very bright, but it still has a similar feel. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying that. Nigel, what about you? So I have a few things that I want to uh, highlight. So people who have been listening to this podcast uh, or seen our end of year, uh, best of best stories of the year episode, where we talked a bit about my addiction to stories about Mexican drug cartels. And I continued that addiction with Narcos Mexico season three. So uh, I'm watching that. Not much to say. It's, it's drug cartels. And yeah, uh, I can't get enough apparently. So really <laughs> enjoying that. You know what? It's it's a 
it's an entrepreneur story. Maybe not the best business, <laughs> but it is an entrepreneur story. And it's just interesting to watch people. It's kind of like the same the same types of like a, a low, like low down level, same types of moves that you might make in a business world, like networking and closing <laughs> deals <laughs> and people not living up to deals. Uh, maybe the, the, the killing isn't a, you know, as a different kind of situation, but it's interesting to see like some of the uh, examples of entrepreneurship in, in this area. So yeah, that's my excuse anyway. So apart from that, I have also, I watched a, I watched and finished, I watched a, and finished a whole series of I don't know it was 10 episodes but what? um yeah I know. <laughs> I'm still shocked <laughs> yeah. so a series called Terror in Resonance uh -huh. which is really interesting so it's about these two teenagers who steal a nuclear weapon which is you know kind of like a terror attack kind of thing to do and they like they go on YouTube or whatever the equivalent is in this show and threaten to destroy Tokyo City uh, unless the the city and the police can solve their riddle, so it starts off this cat and mouse game, and the story's about you know why are they doing this and and can they be stopped, uh, and they yeah they kind of like you un unravel the story behind their actions. Really for me, it's like really engaging, really gripping, and it's short, which I love. So I was able to follow it through. To this the is end. on Netflix, right? Yes, on Netflix. I think I have it on my list. I wish Netflix had like. A ranking order for your list that you can put <laughs> things in because sometimes they're just things that are on my list and then like they just bump down and i forget yeah no that's that's a fair point it needs to maybe you need to give it more data and <laughs> it can sort that list out for you um <laughs> netflix has been killing it with the anime though recently like they've been really oh, yeah. putting out some some goods like the castlevania series was amazing super yeah. crooks mm -hmm. was really good um Devil Man Busters. Cry yeah devil man crybaby <laughs> as well like damn there's there's so much good stuff that's come out of netflix anime so yeah, uh, yeah i'll put there really and resonance on my list thank you i recommend that uh, and then i hopped over to disney plus uh, the other streaming service and started watching star wars clone wars just because actually i don't know why i started watching this i just had a interest in learning more about star wars and apparently this is a pretty good animated series so yeah started watching that liking it so far although i will say i did get to an episode that had jar jar binks in it and <laughs> i now have a a strong dislike of jar jar binks uh, oh, which wow. i did not have before only now yeah i was about to say now <laughs> you know what so i do before... not i quite like jar jar binks i'm just gonna put that out there all right before so, we get to the, like was... the main story discussion i will say so i I understood the hate for Jar Jar Binks. So I didn't necessarily, I wasn't into Star Wars as much as everyone. So I kind of started like my, like I'm consciously going to watch a Star Wars film with the the middle trilogy, which is not the best place to start. So for me, it was kind of a, what's the big deal? So like Jar Jar Binks didn't bring down any expectations for me. I now have expectations. So watching this and then coming to his episode where he just played, he was, he's just a super character. He, he was doing stupid things and it, it didn't serve no point other than just to be stupid. So I got very frustrated with his presence in this episode and it kind of really ruined the momentum that was building from that. Anyway, I don't like Jar Jar Binks. That's the point I'm trying to, trying to make. But I do like the show and he's only in it for one episode so far. But uh, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking with that. Uh, really dropping character. some hot takes here. Like, wow, I don't like Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, I know, right? This is the, the podcast for, like, controversial <laughs> opinions on decades-old characters. I uh, I tried to start Star Wars Clone Wars, and I just couldn't get into it. Is that 
animation style out of interest? I don't know. Like, I just felt like I was watching a kid's cartoon, to be honest. Mm. And I watch a lot of anime, and, and for so for something to make me just feel like <laughs> I'm watching a kid's cartoon and not... <laughs> like, I, I actually watch a lot of actual kid's cartoons. Cartoon, yeah. No, I get and, I'm... Yeah, and I just, I don't know, I was just like... Okay, I'm going to watch more <laughs> and, and see if my opinion changes, but yeah, that's an interesting one. Okay. I mean, you already got further than me, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, those are the stories that we've been enjoying, or maybe not. Now let's get to our main, the story discussion. Today, we are going to be talking about Dune, the 2021 sci-fi epic directed by Denis Villeneuve and also written by Villeneuve. John Spates and Eric Roth. So spoiler alert, we are going to be covering sort of different parts of this story. So if you haven't seen it, uh, watch it, form your opinion, then come and uh, mix that with our opinions that we're about to give in this podcast. So I will do a recap of the story, pretty complex story, well, part of the story. Uh, but first, let's get everyone's overall quick impression. So let's start with Tom. Tom, what did you, what was your overall impression of this story? I feel like I've got to very quickly preface this by saying that I had a really unique take or like a really unique experience going into the film. Um, I read half of the book going in um, so, and I, I pretty much read uh, maybe up to the scene where wait, we're in spoiler territory now. Aren't we? So we're, no, I, I, yeah, I read up to the scene where the Duke dies and I found it hard to get further than that because that Dune, there's a bit of a running joke that Dune is a very hard to read book. Um, and I, I very much found that that to be real. So I, I kind of went into it knowing the first half of it and um, I really, I re I re overall really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was an incredible film, both cinematically, narratively. I was so engrossed in it. The soundtrack was gorgeous. Um, but I, I, I will say I did struggle a little bit with the content after the Duke's death that I hadn't read. Like I thought I enjoyed the stuff more when I knew what was going on because I, it was sections that I'd read than I enjoyed the stuff that was totally fresh to me. And I, and I think I'll, I might go into a little bit more detail on that in a moment. But um, that's my, my overall impression is very, very positive. Really enjoyed it. Lau, what about you? I know you were very keen to talk about this story. I'm just going to go in and say that I, I did, in fact, finish the book prior to watching the film. But I listened to it. It wasn't a uh, physical book. And so I had kind of a little bit of bias in the, you know, the, yeah, the voice actors and narrators and whatnot. Anyway watched this film in the cinema with my missus and um well i didn't know it was a two-parter so that straight away upset me to be honest um <laughs> i was i was expecting closure um oh, but, sorry uh, <laughs> yeah i was expecting closure not only with respect to seeing what it looks like on a big screen but obviously i knew what happened so it wasn't a big deal in that respect i i did come away with a a bit of an emptiness and I'll, I'd love to get into why that is but there was so many good things about the film which I only could appreciate after the fact because let me tell you I was so hyped for this film you don't understand um, I was expecting just for this thing to just knock it out the park on all levels based on the trailers by the way it didn't quite do that for me and I'll explain why later but um, yeah generally meh basically <laughs> uh tazzy do you want to 
agree with that, Mayor? Or is there, is there another word that describes it for you? Well, I feel like, first of all, I did not read the book beforehand because everyone else has said their book's data. So I feel like that <laughs> needs to be put out first. Kind of listening to you both, I feel like I should have read the book first because my like overall opinion of the film was what's going on maybe i should have watched this in the cinema uh because i don't feel like i'm getting any of the the effects that was intended here uh, and was there was there like a, a story structure in there because I, I didn't really feel like there was a beginning middle and end I just felt <laughs> that was like confusion the whole way through like <laughs> every time i felt like i understood <laughs> the story structure here it ended and I was like, oh, wait, what happens? I don't know. Mm. I, I still don't. I just still don't really understand properly what was what's happening. There's talk about spice and <laughs> <laughs> the guy that had lots of dreams um, that were really real. Uh, and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe we have something in common. Vivid dreams. Vivid dreams, yeah. And but seeing it in the cinema was like, I, I do think you probably missed out a bit on yeah. that because I, to, it's not really a funny story. But um, while I was watching it, um, a, a man in the back row actually uh, went into cardiac arrest in the cinema while we were watching the film. Um, oh, wow. And we, we, we were saying um, afterwards and there was a lot of buzz about it as we were leaving. He, he was he was fine. Um, they had to like get paramedics to, to get him out and everything. Um, but he was sitting right at the back next to the speakers, which were blasting out the bass. And I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that Hans Zimmer nearly killed a man with the Dune soundtrack that day. <laughs> it was it was completely otherworldly. And I, I think I've read some things about like him creating a new instrument just like for the soundtrack <laughs> of that film for it. So, but I, I, I haven't checked my facts on that, so I might be completely wrong. But yeah, it was just hearing that blasting out at you, which just really transported you to another world. Yeah, everything about the film was like, okay, this is this is made for like cinema or at least home cinema setup because it was like the music, the the cinematography. It was like like that sort of like art piece that must be seen, like yeah. in the way intended and no other way. Otherwise, yeah. it doesn't quite hit. And it's just got such a confusing storyline that that is <laughs> really needs a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. And I do feel to the point about sort of seeing it in the cinema or not seeing it in the cinema. You know, there's, there's with a lot of films being put out on streaming services, a lot of filmmakers unhappy about that. And for me, seeing this film sort of reminded me and sort of gave more context to the reason why. Because this really, for me, is a film. I can't even imagine, well, I mean, I can't imagine watching it on, <laughs> on a small screen at home, but just how much is just taken out in that experience because it's really something to be seen on a big screen and experienced in that way because i found it so i also have not read the book but was aware of the story had no real expectations uh, i knew this was a film that was coming i think the most i heard about it was lao's excitement leading up to it i thought i'd go watch it and i found myself drawn into it so not necessarily i might say like properly drawn like i wasn't really getting it or into it at the beginning by the end i was like okay i'm in and then it ended <laughs> so i did have that kind of uh, abrupt uh ending feeling but during it i, I loved the the visuals the the sound uh, as tom mentioned i think everyone in our cinema made it out uh okay so, so yeah, for that but also feeling a bit i guess like i was missing something because there were definitely things that were said references that were made that just I didn't quite 
get, but I was so pulled in by the, the cinematography, the, the, the film. This is like a, a film in the proper sense of the word. I was just so drawn in by all of that, that I sort of allowed the fact that I felt I was missing out on the importance of certain sections that weren't necessarily explained. They were just mentioned uh, and carried on. So I had mixed feel- feelings, one from a sort of cinema experience, like it was really great, really into it. From a narrative experience, there were things missing, which we'll uh, kind of get into it. But let me do a recap of what was there, and then we can uh, dig a bit deeper. So this is a story that takes us into a far future where almost all planets are under control of the feudal aristocratic empire. Duke Leto of House Atreides is assigned to take control of Arrakis, a harsh desert planet and the only source of spice, a valuable substance that is critical for interstellar travel. In reality, the Emperor intends to have House Harkonnen stage a coup to retake the planet and eradicate House Atreides. Though apprehensive, Leto still sees the political advantages of controlling the spice planet and working with the native skilled fighters known as the Freemen. Leto's partner slash concubine, I don't know what's happening there, uh, Lady Jessica is an acolyte of Ben Jesuit, an exclusive sisterhood whose members have advanced abilities. Jessica has been instructed to bear a daughter whose son would become a messiah-type superbeing with the clairvoyance necessary to guide humanity to a better future. Instead, she brought a son, Paul. Paul confides in Jessica and Leto's aide, Duncan, that he is troubled by visions of the future. Because of this, he is sent to a deadly test to assess his impulse control, which he passes. Meanwhile, House Atreides arrives on Arrakis, where Duncan and an advanced fighter party have been learning about the planet and the Freeman. During a flight, they spot a sandworm approaching an active spice harvester with a stranded crew. Leto and his team rescue the workers moments before the sandworm swallows it. Paul's exposure to the spice-laden air triggers intense premonitions. After an attempt on Paul's life by a Harkonnen agent, Leto places his soldiers on high alert, but he is later betrayed by his own aide, Dr. Wellington Yue, who incapacitates Leto, telling him that he made a deal to deliver him to the Baron in exchange for freeing his captive wife. However, Yue replaces one of Leto's teeth with a poison gas capsule and is killed after delivering the Duke. Leto releases the poison gas, killing himself and members of the Baron's court, but the Baron barely survives. Duncan later escapes and steals an ornithopter. Harkonnens capture Paul and Jessica and take them to the desert to die. Paul and Jessica overpower and kill the captors using a Ben Gesserit skill known as the voice, a means of controlling others verbally. Finding a survival kit left for them by UA, Paul and Jessica spend the night in a tent. There, Paul experiences more visions of a holy war spreading throughout the universe in his name. Paul and Jessica are helped to escape and eventually reach the deep desert and meet the freemen. Among them, Chanai, the girl in Paul's visions. A Freeman warrior protests their inclusion to the group and is killed by Paul in a ritual duel to the death, which is kind of random at the moment. Against Jessica's wishes, Paul insists on joining the Freeman to fulfill his father's goal of bringing peace to Arrakis. The end, or really the beginning, because that was really the beginning of the, uh, of the story. So that was as much as I can kind of distill in what is really a complex uh, story. So the first thing that kind of struck me I was looking as I was putting these notes together is essentially how well this film did because this is a 
a big budget film that does not have Marvel <laughs> anywhere near it. And from what I can see, it did pretty well. So as we spoke about, this is an adaptation of the 1965 science epic fiction novel by Frank Herbert and went on to become one of the world's best-selling science fiction novels, but also had the reputation of being unadaptable. And it had been attempted before, um, and this is like the, the latest of attempt. So what happened is we have a 155-minute start to a story uh, that costs $165 million, but did quite well. So, you know, I mean like just under 400 million people went to see it so i guess my question is like uh, are we surprised that this kind of film seemed to be some kind of success enough to get a sequel to i expect finish the the story that was started so is anyone surprised by that if i if i could pop a little thing in here i i think i mentioned earlier that i was going to make a lot of references to lord of the rings here so i feel like the reason I wasn't massively surprised by its success was because uh, I was I, well, I, I was hoping it would do really well, and it did. So I was kind of like pleasantly surprised, I guess, if anything. But I think the kind of big issue and the reason why it was called kind of unadaptable and why previous adaptations in the past had failed was um, the scale of it is, of Dune is too huge, and it's a similar issue that Lord of the Rings had in in their books. Like there's these are huge fantasy worlds of lots of moving pieces. There's the main story, there's the politics, there's the geopolitics, there's factions. It's it's there's a lot of moving parts, and it's very hard to fit that into a Hollywood kind of traditional five act structure. Um, I mean to read the book. You, there's literally a glossary at the back that you need to refer to sometimes. Um, and I did a little bit of research and apparently at the uh, the premiere of the original 1985 adaptation, when that movie came out on the red carpet, the producers were handing out pamphlets to people so they could do their reading and like understand oh, wow. some of the some of the keywords and things that were going to be used in the film before they, they went in. Handy here. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> to be fair, I could have done with something like that again. So it's it's a huge like undertaking to translate something of that magnitude into a movie um so i think the re in my opinion the reason it worked was because they did they gave it a lot of the rings treatment they they split it down and they they narrowed the scope so i think if they because tr previously they tried to squeeze them all into into one movie um and it felt kind of rushed and some things were not giving enough time to develop and it felt a bit kind of all over the place but I've, I'm quite happy about it being split in two because it gives it more time to shine and it gives like things enough time to to happen. And I going going back to that kind of Lord of the Rings analogy, um, I think Peter Jackson's quite famous for saying um, that if it didn't directly affect Frodo or the Ring, then it could be cut. So I think they they basically did that with Dune, the book. If it didn't directly affect Paul. They cut it, um, which means we lost some of the nuance from the book. And and, and I'm not sure if, if Lau, you're going to agree with this because you know more about the book than I do. But I, I do think a lot of nuance, like, like for example, the bullfighting. My friends came out of the cinema and were kind of like, why was there bulls everywhere? And I was like, well, you see in the book, uh, there's <laughs> actually a good reference to the bulls and there's a reason for them to exist. But um, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of the relationship between the Duke and Jessica is lost as well because of that, um, which, I, which I think the movie suffered for and in, in, because like his death isn't as impactful as it is in the book for, for, for me anyway but overall i think they did a really good job giving it the lord of the rings treatment and just narrowing that scope in on pull i think it makes them more straightforward and a lot more adaptable i think that's that's probably why it 
succeeded because they they turned something that was deemed kind of unadaptable into something that at a base level could could be understood and was visually super gorgeous like <laughs> they put so much time and i love how much time they spent looking at the desert and like just taking in the structures of the world and a lot of the storytelling is visual and i i've just yeah i think it really really um benefit from that i have mixed feelings it's got nothing to do with the actual film itself and everything to do with the fact that it came out in 2021 okay (laughs) (laughs) so either done really well because loads of people really wanted to see it specifically or the fact that they just really well timed well either way they're really well timed the release to be at a point where people did want to go see it enough people wanted to go see it enough people were able to go see it and I feel like part of it was like I just want to get out and see a really good film in the cinema and this has got like some really good actors in it and like is a a good it has a good chance of being like the one that's worth going to the cinema at this point yeah I mean I think there was some element of of good time because you know we are uh sort of coming out of a pandemic I hope at least um and you know cinema industry has struggled massively where just people aren't going to the cinema uh, as much i think part or most of that is sort of literally you could not go to the cinema also behaviors have uh, changed and like i mentioned earlier that this is a film that was also available on home streaming so the fact that it did well so being to that point but to tazzy's point about actually some people given a good enough reason will still go to the cinema i think this seemed to be a good enough reason like a cinema experience type film that is worth seeing on a on a big screen but yeah but i don't know what do you think now in terms of like its its success well i'm not surprised um i think yeah it, they kind of went large so they so it had to be it was kind of that sort of approach um like we're just gonna throw everything at this um i think the direction was just on point let's be clear i know i my overall verdict is meh but we'll get into the reasons but as far as you know as a standalone film like it it, it's great to look at the soundtrack was mesmerizing like it really grips you and i think that you know after what like two years almost of just not being able to have that cinema experience this was something that really relieved all of that kind of pent-up expectation of just getting back to normal and enjoying a film in the cinema with your friends or family or whatever so um i think that might have been a big draw for some people which contributed to its success and i think for others it was the fact that their beloved book was uh, finally um you know immortalized on the big screen in this way so uh, you know, I think those things kind of really contributed to why it did so well. Obviously, they had some big names, both directors, actors, um, you know, attached to this. Obviously, uh, Ham Zimmer doing the soundtrack. So that's going to pull some people in as well. So, yeah, I, I think I'm, I wasn't too surprised to learn that it had done, a, it had done as well as it did uh, on on the basis of those points. But And the other reason I mention that is because, uh, so uh, Dennis um, Villeneuve, um, his... Well, not his other film, he's done uh, more than uh, two films, but another of his films, uh, Blade Runner uh, 2049. Similar scope, completely different stories, but similar scale in terms of like the grandness of uh, the, the cinematography, uh, the feeling of it, but didn't do uh, as well 
at, at the box office. So it might be down to sort of partly that timing thing. And maybe this gets to your mere point, Lau, but in terms of like this being an adaptation of the book, I imagine you enjoyed the book. Is this like a, the book did it better, better kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was in this instance. I just, I want to say something, actually. Um, obviously, I've kind of come out with my very uh, simplistic <laughs> judgment on the film. That that was just my experience, right? Um, th- there's many things they got right, um, many things I really like about the film. And for that reason, I'll probably watch the film again and again. But I think, for me, it was a matter of you had a choice. You could focus on the visuals and the world building. You can focus on the plot or the characters, like you, like in terms of cranking it up, because you know they've thrown a lot of money at this. Um, obviously, if they're focusing on characters, that's going to make for a very long film. If they focus on the story, well, yeah, I guess they can kind of get away with um, making it, you know, reasonably uh, accessible in length. Um, but I felt like they really just went for the visuals and the sound uh, over those other two. Um, having read the books, I, I don't know, I'd, I'd love to hear what other people think um, that, that are listening to this, but I felt that they had a great opportunity to capture some of the great moments in the book. What made the book great for me wasn't just the world building, but it was what happened in that world. It was the people. And and one of the things I really look for in films I watch today is that connection to the actual characters. And um, I honestly, I question how Paul was, I question how a lot of the characters were handled. Um, But obviously the the story centers around Paul and knowing what I know coming up in part two, I question some of the decisions made in part one. I really do. And I've read articles that have also touched on this. Um, I won't say, obviously, what, what's coming. But the point is that, I, well, I'll say this much. It's not a spoiler in any respect. Because of the way they focused on kind of the visuals more than character development in the first part of the movie, for the second part to really land, they are going to have to pull out all the stops as far as the plot as far as the characters like we really need to care otherwise my prediction is that part two will look great it will sound great but people will eventually just walk away and say well yeah you know it's good i mean it's you know entertaining but that's it and it won't be like the matrix one <laughs> sort right. of thing where you come away and you feel like something's happened inside you like <laughs> and i got that from the book i really did i my goodness, let me tell you, I was so fascinated by Paul Atreides in this book. I was like, I need to see how they bring this experience to the big screen. And I just didn't think they did it in this instance. Because they they did, I mean, they had to. There's just too much to cover. But they, I think some of the sacrifices they made it kind of dampened some of the impact of certain moments. Uh, in some cases, it, it literally turned it down to zero. Like, yeah, it, for example, in the first part, there is a, a quite a significant moment, I'd say, when uh, the Fropter goes down after um, Lady Jessica and Paul escape. And uh, Paul has uh, another vision, and a really interesting moment occurs around that point uh, in the book. And 
in the film, it, you know, they crash, they get out, and they just do their tent, and then they escape into the hills. But yeah, the book handles it so differently. Like it's it's such a significant moment with Paul alone with his mum, and you really kind of feel a lot of the tension um, that they're going through. Obviously, Duke Leto's just died. Paul's now got to step up. You know, there's threats of being eaten up by the worms, and then he has this vision of the future that's quite quite powerful and almost like an awakening as well. Um, I'm not sure if any of you picks up on that in the film that you know this was quite significant. And I think one of his his visions, you know, was quite a significant vision. But the question is, did anyone really pick up why? I definitely didn't because I had no idea what was going on for most of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think the main kind of problem of this comes from trying to adapt a a, a essentially a, it's essentially a superpower. I'm just going to call it a superpower, but essentially trying to adapt a superpower that mostly concerns itself with an internal monologue, trying to make that interesting, and an internal superpower that in deal like kind of deals with your emotions and being able to read other people's emotions. Like in in the book, there's a lot of um, kind of scenes of him training and you get a lot of his insights on like what is going on of behind the scenes a little bit um, and I I do think the film did a, a good enough adaptation of, of like demonstrating the voice but it mostly focuses on the voice as the super the superpower that um, the Benny Jessup have rather than this kind of internal power that they have that lets them read their kind of enemies' faces and their emotions, which is which is the real power, really. It's what like helps them negotiate in in political kind of disputes, oh, okay. and that's like that. their their main kind of power, rather than this kind of superpower of commanding people to to do whatever. And, and as Paul, I'm assuming, I haven't read the other half of the book. Um, from what I've heard, Paul becomes this entirely different person, and his powers grow and he becomes I, i've heard of things like dune messiah so from what i take from that I'm, I'm assuming he's growing stronger um but i i think like i was saying earlier t tuning that scope down and just entirely focusing on paul i think they could have tried to adapt the voice in uh, the, the benny jessup powers in a in a way and failed like the previous ones or the previous adaptations or they could have just gone all right we're going to pick the simplest most easy to understand bit the voice we're going to do that in the best way we can and i think it comes across really well it's scary it's intimidating when he uses the voice like especially when um jessica who's more experienced in it that scene yeah. in the thought she where she's using that is <laughs> genuinely like gives you chills it's it's proper spooky even if even if you're not like fully aware of what's happening that kind of adds to the whole like oh my god like this is weird she's like a proper witchy kind of character um yeah love that um i thought it was i thought it was pretty cool having you explain it like that makes so much more sense <laughs> yeah oh, no. and i can understand it way more because again I, and i would have connected way more with his character because that's how i dream like i feel them like it's really weird mm. like you come away from a dream and you're like can't explain but there was all these emotions and that's how i know what was going on in the dream rather than what was actually happening so trying to explain it to someone's like impossible um, <laughs> but um you explain it yeah i think just like what what my main like my main kind of criticism of it, it is that like through that kind of cutting of away and like narrowing of the scope you do miss a lot of the nuance i, I think um like just just like how you said like you didn't understand it because it kind of wasn't there wasn't explained a really big takeaway 
that I had was the the whole bull iconography and all the bullfighting iconography that's displayed throughout House of Trades. Because as a book reader, um, I understood <laughs> the kind of symbology and and the meaning behind that. But when we came out of it, some of my mates who hadn't seen the film were just confused and going like, "Why is there bulls everywhere?" Like, there's I think there's a throwaway line at the beginning where the Duke mentions, "Oh, my grandfather fought bulls." But it's not expanded on at all, and it's just kind of presented at face value, and it's not very like I, I maybe they were trying to do a visual storytelling thing, but with absolutely zero context as to just why there's bulls in space, I I think it was a bit lost for for people that hadn't hadn't read the book there. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say about the power thing is there was a point where they kind of touched on like something to do with emotion. I think it was um, Jessica was like oh I I feel what you see or something and it was just this one line like throwaway line that if they'd actually like gone into more detail and explained it it would have actually made everything make more sense and they could have actually spent a bit more time on it like just the tiniest bit of time so I think something this film doesn't do is like give you any exposition like it doesn't explain anything at any point <laughs> no it, it could have done with a little bit <laughs> <laughs> it could have handed like some some monologues or something just it could have done with a bit of explaining <laughs> i think in some places they do that really well like when there's like the iconography of like the giant worms on the walls and you're just kind of left to go oh boy that's a big worm i hope we don't see something <laughs> like that later and i i like that kind of like that kind of world building and especially there's like those little bits there's a lot of visual storytelling like there's a little shot halfway through of a of a mouse these huge ears and it's like a big it's a little desert mouse mouse. yeah and and (laughs) but what it's doing is it's using its legs to take down its water that it's collecting in its ears or the condensation and pushing it down into its mouth and that immediately goes oh wow like it makes you think like these animals on this planet have all adapted to Mm. survive and recycle their water i love little bits of storytelling like that but i think i think they got the storytelling of the planet really well but not they got necessarily the, little, um, the holographic book thing whatever they called that gave some like world building of oh, the planet more, yeah. yeah the other really weird thing though was the palm trees they kind of like made a whole big thing about the palm trees and then I think that was just to kind of represent just like it really quickly get over to the audience just how important water was and then how important that the house atreides was and like yeah. compared almost comparatively to the, the people of the planet. There was these sacred trees. I feel like it was just like didn't need explaining anymore. I think we kind of understood the concept of like a sandy desert <laughs> and this is extreme and we really need water. And like I feel like that uh, people were drinking their recycled bodily fluids. I think at that point you understand that water is very important <laughs> and the trees just, it was just like, why are you there? And then there was like this really symbolic shot of them being burnt down. But it was like, but why? <laughs> like it just, I'm, I don't know. I'm like, you could have used that to actually explain more, unless there's something like in the second part that it really is very beneficial to. But it's like all of this that was such there could have been a monologue about something we actually really needed to understand i i think like you've touched on something really uh i think important and um this is going to be a little bit controversial but hey makes for interesting listening hopefully i think this film should have been chock full of exposition i really do i say that because um as i'm i think i mentioned it actually maybe i didn't mention it 
Um, but basically, I was watching the 1984 version of the same story. And they have a fair bit of internal dialogue, which is quite old school. And mm-hmm. while I would say, you know, you shouldn't do that, you know, this isn't like some sort of like high school targeted like film for teens or something where, you know, the plot's quite obvious and exposition is just kind of patronizing. This is really complex stuff. I think we would forgive them for if they could find a way to tastefully just put exposition in where it makes sense for us to actually get in the head of what the actors or sorry, the characters are thinking in certain moments, because my goodness in the book, they, they're quite liberal with it, to be frank. In fact, you've got like whole conversations happening. Um, (laughs) And I don't know, people might say, well, that doesn't translate very well to the big screen, but I think sometimes, you know, you, you're sort of used to the whole dumbing down of films to the point where, when you like have something that's com- the information <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah 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 so it's almost like if if you've got a really complex film where actually that might serve it better it, it obviously a risk but i think it might have actually worked a little bit better it is a risk because you risk like slowing the pacing down for what is already a i mean it's not a fast paced i mean when you know people start getting betrayed and everything things start moving fast but in generally it's quite a slowly paced story so to add in exposition there is that risk of like you're slowing down it even more i feel like there was some moments as well that it kind of i don't know it kind of was like it felt like there should have been some exposition at that point where it was just like silence or looks or something that i'm like i don't know i don't know what this look means like I don't have enough information. That one bit where Jessica looks at Paul when he's changing and she gives him that look, that is, I, I really have an issue with that scene. Like, I don't know if you remember, towards the end, once they're, oh, uh, they're, they're, they're running away across, the, they're lost in the desert and they're, and they're, they're changing, changing into their, their still suits. suits. He, she, like, looks back at Paul for, like, a long time. Where it's this drawn-out shot where she's, like, staring at him while he's changing. And then that scene afterwards where he's doing up her, her like, still suit, she, she almost seems, like, a little bit flustered. Like, she's got all this weird weird vibe off that whole scene like and yeah i got a weird vibe on that scene i was like huh? super weird <laughs> I, and I, I tried to like try and find a, a counter argument to it because I, I went online and i went to a couple of forums to see what people were saying about it because a couple of other people had said like you, you remember that one weird scene with paul and jessica <laughs> and like it's, it's a whole thing apparently um the best counter argument i could find for it is um uh, like two or three times earlier in the movie uh jessica tells paul to oh go and get dressed like she it's a it's a recurring motif apparently that I had hadn't picked up on at all. So this scene where Paul's in the desert and he just starts getting dressed without her asking to is him kind of taking initiative apparently and starting to get chained without her direction. But I just thought that was a really weird way of doing that. Like it yeah, was, it was definitely a weird way of doing I, it. That that motif was completely lost on me as well. Like I, I didn't get that. Because I picked up on the him always being told to get dressed, but that scene, like, it did not capture that that was the message they were trying to get across <laughs> at all. It was just weird. <laughs> it was just slightly longer and awkward than it perhaps needed to be. Mm. But I think this is the the kind of inherent challenge in, like, adaptations, what just the different mediums, because, like, Lau mentioned the idea of, like, more exposition, and in the book there being places where there's just conversations to explain things and you can do that in a book whereas you have the the challenge of like film 
there's certain things that don't work in that medium and i think that's just like part of the challenge with this and what i've learned in terms of like making stories and is there's always some kind of compromise and you have to make some kind of decision so like even with you know one of the stories that we're working on 11th hour that i'm adapting from what hour started and and when you have a lot of things going on you kind of have to decide all right what's the what's the train of thought essentially what's the the main line through this story and i think what was peter Peter jackson mentioned earlier about if it doesn't fit with frodo then then kite because he's just decided that's the main line and i feel they've done that here but in the the cost of that is losing a lot of the the nuance is like risking alienating people who haven't read the book and don't get all the references because you can clearly see like Villeneuve his from what I've read and seen like he's a he's a fan of the work like this is yeah I mean is. I wouldn't say it's a passion project obviously like uh, a lot of money and, and some business interests uh, around this but it's something that he cares about and he wanted to bring to the screen he wanted to sort of do faithfully I, I think that's why you get those references that might not be explained necessarily but he is aware of them he cares about them make sure that they're there so it remains true but it's just, yeah, if you haven't read the the story, you'll, you'll miss on them. So I think that's the kind of balance and decision-making in behind making this story. Yeah, I think it's really tricky, man. Like, when it comes to these things, I watched a really great video that kind of talks about this. And um, they were basically critiquing, like, modern storytelling versus, you know, storytelling some decades ago. And they used a kind of an older film... Um, to make their point and and all they really touched on was the idea of just making sure that the setup is done well and it can be little things right but as long as you do the setup well then when the moments come they actually land and hit hit right like that perfect first anime episode like you have to nail that first episode otherwise the, the rest of the season flops exactly i mean so it's i think with this film it's it's tricky because there's a, <laughs> I'm going to do a Dunism here. It's like a setup in a setup in a setup. People that have read the book will get that reference. <laughs> but anyway, the point is that, that there's quite a few things that needed to be set up as far as this truly hitting all of the most kind of, I think, key plot points in a way that is very familiar to the way I felt in the book. And this is me speaking personally now. Um, and I think the whole idea of sticking to, you know, just what affects Paul, it makes sense because obviously you don't want a 14 hour film, but it's kind of like having a bunch of roses and you're trimming all the leaves off and then you've just got these kind of skinny sticks in a vase. It might not look as good. You might need a few <laughs> leaves here and there just so that it doesn't look kind of... But those spot. skinny sticks have a Hans Zimmer soundtrack to them and, and, yeah. and, a, nice, and a nice like kind of beigey filter over everything so i think that's a pretty good looking yeah. six well yeah. i mean you know i feel like that is the like it has to have that that good watching experience to fulfill like fulfill itself like this is not one that you can just go and like watch on your laptop unless you've no. got a really good laptop <laughs> yeah. watching movies because <laughs> you're just gonna lose so much of it 240p dune just isn't hitting <laughs> right like it's not doing it for you <laughs> i'm interested to know then tazzy because with this being such a grand film like epic scale traveling interstellar uh travel and and visual world building like a lot of visual world building going on was there was there anything like like visually that that 
grabbed you like as you were watching it the um the shields okay so you had the shield so when paul was training he was like yeah putting the shields and then they were used like later on as well yeah he, like, and like every time there was like was, uh, met his fate every time there was like impact like you really saw it like i really understood how the shields worked if if there was one thing i understood yeah. <laughs> it was how the shields worked because <laughs> they were they it were shown of, so well and it goes to like well i like that that because they set it up in training so you understood how it worked so you yeah. it kind of added to the emotion of the moment when uh duncan was you know was dead because you knew what was happening i mean you could see it anyway he was being uh killed but in terms of the the shields and what it yeah. meant to break through that and then yeah for him to and also it. they that's the one little bit of exposition they did have because they were in training and they explained the knife that could go through the shield and and it was just like, oh, okay, like I understand shield really powerful, but has weakness. <laughs> <laughs> and the red yeah. shows that it's fate like failing or has been struck. <laughs> I like my brain activates and like blue good, red bad. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. what you need sometimes. Just like yeah. explain it, explain it sim- in simple terms. But even yeah. with um I think the other bit of world building was like the the sandworms as well, because you when oh, they, they were, were rescuing the, the the team, you kind of you got a sense because they were saying, you know, I think there was a there was a certain way to move, and mm, you got to do the sand sand walk. Yeah, and then you kind of had that first encounter when things kind of go wrong. So that later on, you understood. So mm. I mean, to be fair, they're, they're massive. You can kind of get the gist of <laughs> of what deal was there. But there there was that element of like setting up things that would come later using more. So a bit of mix of like some exposition but like visual world building mm. and i think as well like the worms i feel like most sci-fi fantasy fans can understand those <laughs> like you didn't have you, ha- you only had to give a little bit to like understand that that kind of like video gamey enemy epic <laughs> um sound like i don't know how many games i've played that has like that kind of worm or underground enemy so like it was i feel that was really well done because we we understood the like epic magnitude of these worms mm. especially that one scene like that where we, the um the spice rig getting attacked by that worm like i really like how they don't show off the full worm in that scene you just see yeah. it now and that, that you get like it really plays it activates your imagination you get such a mm. sense of like oh my god this is huge like this could eat the world <laughs> and the way they were like caught paul and oh, what's his name, were crawling back and the, they kind of like were sinking into the sand from the movement of the world. He's on such a childhood fear, though, of like running through sand or like, like <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah, it really, really got me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the things I, I quite liked in terms of like the, the visuals was those like dragonfly-like uh, was it ornithopters. Oh, they uh, were so the, cool. Yeah. Because yeah. it, yeah. like, it's a, a future film and it, it did feel futuristic and it, it felt like we're seeing things that not quite seen or in ways that not quite seen uh seen them and like the the idea of these not quite helicopters not quite dragonfly things just taking off and, and moving so like so something new and uh novel the scene where they were escaping into the storm that was a really good scene I feel like the the two scenes that really stood out, I I know we're not at that bit, I'm just going to say it now anyway, (laughs) that really stood out were that the worm and the the, uh, spice rig thing and the scene of them going through the the storm. That was Um, the bit where the dude had the cardiac arrest. (laughs) Oh, really? I can completely understand that now because that was like, 
yeah I mean even like storyline there was a lot going on so that combined with the music kind of like a, a bit of a heart stopper <laughs> quite literally um, quite literally we can joke about it because he lived like that's yeah yeah <laughs> it'd be a different situation if, yeah absolutely because <laughs> that was the point where we kind of realized like he had like a, a an epiphany moment then right going through the it's like flow with the use the force Luke kind of moment <laughs> Like a real Ben Kenobi reaching out to him kind of moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. a perfect analogy. And then, I mean, we've spoken about how, like, narratively speaking, is, is an incomplete story and sort of by the nature of how it was uh, approached. And I think, like, this will, there'll be a point where we look back and you'll have to look at both films together to judge this story. Um, mm. Whereas we've only got, like, quite literally the, the part one, just the start of this journey, because it kind of ends. I feel because we see Paul at the beginning unsure of his abilities, unsure of his place, whether he can live up to his potential. And by the end, if there's any kind of uh, sort of character arc, he he is in a place where you feel he's at least made a decision that I'm going to step up to my place, if not quite there uh, yet. But uh, it's funny that uh, Tom mentioned Lord of the Rings because I felt the difference that did cross my mind as well. But the difference is that like Lord of the Rings or like the different episodes of Star Wars, they are all self-contained stories in themselves. Whereas this really did feel like a, oh, let's cut this and we'll be back. Well, <laughs> we'll I, I, I don't know, years. like comparing, comparing the end of the, the Fellowship of the Ring, which like, wow, Thomas H. had to make another Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> um, comparing the end of the Fellowship to the Ring with the end of Dune, uh, the end of the Fellowship, uh, Boromir dies, which directly impacts the main character and mm. he starts to move on to the next step of his journey. And at the end of Dune, the, the Fremen warrior dies it directly impacts Paul and he starts to move on to the next step of his journey. They're actually very similar endings. I, th I think the difference uh. is in the, the act. The, the, basically, the, the death really kind of sets the tone for the end because with Boromir, it's a member of the party and there's all the emotions mixed in with Boromir's death. I could talk for hours about that, but um, <laughs> it's a Dune podcast. So... Um, <laughs> I, I, it affects them in, in, in there's a sense of there's a sense of loss because they've lost a good friend of them and there's a sense of the road ahead is getting harder and, and like a great change is coming for the characters and I think yeah. really similarly Dune's ending is Paul kills the Fremen and that's his last act as Paul as we know him and he's traveling forwards into this new character this messiah-like figure who's like at the beginning of his new journey so i think i think they're like quite tonally similar endings i wasn't massively disappointed with the end of the movie because i i felt like it was a very open cliffhanger and it's a very it's a very directional cliffhanger if, if that is some kind of word that makes me sound smart like it's, <laughs> it's not just like it's not just like a, oh to be continued it's a, like the character is set on a path and i'm, like, yeah, and I'm yeah, excited to see where going, that yeah. path leads yeah, no, I, I I get. I think the the, the difference. I mean, my I've been at ages since I've watched uh, Lord of the Rings, but the difference with the the character that Paul kills, I, me personally, like I didn't care about the character. <laughs> I understood he? the significance of the moment in terms of Paul stepping up because he's you know even as, as Jessica says like he's not killed a killed a man before, but he to progress he has to do this. So I get yeah. that. It's just like the guy himself was just like there's just some guy. He just seems like you're jealous. Yeah, of this, just a bloke <laughs> coming. Yeah, so that was a bit. Uh, we're, but I understood in terms of like your your very smart uh, word directional um, uh, <laughs> use of that because I did understand that because I, I felt I wasn't necessarily I wouldn't say I was disappointed 
it was just like a oh uh, maybe I was disappointed actually. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, there's no more. Yeah, I was disappointed actually. There you go. I feel like for the to to sort of go off the Lord of the Rings comparison, as I also found Lord of the Rings extremely confusing before I read the book. But what I did get the sense of watching Lord of the Rings is like this is an epic journey, and <laughs> we're going along with like a friendship group essentially and like I could understand a lot of that and so like I felt more complete complete at the end and like I could leave it there oh you felt or I could continue well then June then (laughs) (laughs) and like feel like I could either leave it there or continue on the epic journey kind of like insert coin to continue type (laughs) way Whereas with Dune, I was like, I don't understand anything. I literally have to watch the next one to, to understand what happened in the first one. Um, I feel I thought... like I get, I get like a, I think that's, to, to me anyway, it, I get like a, a, the real kind of difference to me is it comes down to like a, a sense of agency over the plot. Like yeah. the Fellowship have, of the Ring have a lot of agency over the plot and they are directly driving it forwards. Like that little team of like the Hobbits and Gandalf and all their other little friends are like, really driving the plot forwards but in dune paul is a very reactionary protagonist and i'm Mm. i'm hoping that the second part of that really kind of shakes things up and he starts to take more agency over the plot so i'm my little prediction for when we see the second film is that like we're gonna see this one as like a very weak paul character trying to transition reacting a lot to everything going around him trying to transition into the person he's about to become and the second movie is going to be like pull the man yeah pull (laughs) pull the god i don't know i might be wrong i bet there's book readers who are just cringing listening to me to say that i think you're really right though on on the agency i think that explains it really well yeah no that's a good point and yeah that is part of the problem with like the idea of the the passive protagonist who's just reacting to events rather than making the decision yeah i'm surprised i shouldn't uh thinking that because i think that's a really good point that's part of the struggle of this you're you know, Paul's he's not quite the man yet, but everyone's saying like this is this is the guy. He's going to be uh, going to be the guy. But what you see is uh, is someone who is just yeah reacting to things happening around him. So yeah, that might be part of the problem with the. We have a very different protagonist in the next film. Okay. And do you know yeah. what? Having said all of that, um, I've got a note here. I've got quite a few notes, but obviously because of time, I think I'll just stick to the key one. In the book, chapter eleven, it's called "They Try to Take the Life of My Son." I found this particular chapter quite important for a number of reasons but one of the things it showed me was how important Paul was to the Duke and it also taught me a lot about the Duke and the type of character he was now I think in the mining the spice rig uh, scene you got a sense of um, his loyalty for people over money Um, but this chapter, if you ever read the book, you'll see what I mean. Like it's, it, it shows you quite a lot. And I think maybe they would have done, like maybe it would have been more impactful if they gave more airtime to what was happening with the Duke. So that when it then transpired that he killed, it's almost like, rah, okay, Paul, you got to step up now, guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but I don't think, I don't think we had too much of that. I, I really liked the Duke's character. I liked the guy that plays him. Um, Oscar Isaac absolutely yeah. killed it. I think like he was really sold short in Star Wars and he just really got an opportunity to shine, to shine here. Like brilliant actor. Yeah. Did you care? Did you care as much when he died? That's, That's what I'm saying. I, I cared more that 
Oscar Isaac wasn't in the film anymore than <laughs> than Duke Leto <laughs> being killed. Where's my beard gone? I, yeah. No. <laughs> I think I don't know how like the Duke was one of the like more formed characters. I feel like I understood the Duke's character very well. Like he had quite a strong like I feel like I don't know if it is correct, but I feel like I understood his motivations and his like his like where he stands on things because there was like urgency and and i think i think i understand <laughs> did you feel like because i got a sense of just like duty from him like I've, I've been told to do this and this is my responsibility so i even mm. though there might be something wrong I'm, i have to go and do this is that's what i got from him no i feel like there was like a line about his when he was before like he didn't want to be duke and then it Oh, like leadership not being something that it calls to you. You don't yes, you don't want to yeah, be yeah, it. Yeah. And so for me, I feel like in my head at least, I can totally I'm probably just making stuff up. <laughs> this is the this is from what the information they gave me that built was like, oh, something happened that made him want to lead. And and then he's also really caring about people. So then like that's his I don't know, like that's his sense of self is like okay the people rather than duty it was like something stronger happened and you felt he felt more of a responsibility to act in the way he did yeah beyond like just oh i'm duke like it was personal like he he would have been that person regardless of if he was duke or not okay because as well he like commanded commanded so much respect from the people around him and seemed to be on like quite friendly terms with them as well okay I mean, he had he had a lot of impact. I was I was just gonna say, like, real quick. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting about this conversation is we have not once mentioned the bad guys. Darkland, yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand the bad guys. <laughs> so this is why I go with Tazzy because I I was gonna say like before we get to themes to ask if any of the other characters stood out and particularly the um the enemy characters or the antagonist uh, characters. And this is why I go with Tazzy where I didn't I didn't quite get. Like, I, I understood more as I was putting the notes together than when I was watching it. I just got it as, like, I don't know. I, just, I didn't get much of a sense from... Because you had, like, the the Emperor, but then you also had Batista. I'm just going to... Batista. Um, his character wanting to make some moves. And I was like, I'm, this is where I feel if I had read the book, I'd have more context as to the moves everyone <laughs> is trying to make. Because I saw some, like, there were some Game of Thrones machinations going on here. I just wasn't aware of, like, what side everyone was on i yeah who i don't even know like i was getting so confused i don't know what they were as well like when you yeah, like, literally, you know, i was just like it was too confused i feel like you could have had this film without them and then just had like mystery like the planet itself serves as like an enemy almost as yeah, well. like, yeah like opposing fraction come and destroy and it would have it we could have used that extra time of like their little discussions and the pet spider thing like <laughs> we could have done without that and used it to explain more more character building and more because i still don't know what i don't understand <laughs> it was a grab for power i feel like they didn't need to they could have just been like oh here's some people grab for power. power we didn't yeah we didn't really need to have their scenes it's just confusing it just added more confusing especially because there's so much cutting to different scenes anyway with the with the dream things right that yeah. we could have just had less and focused more. Okay. <laughs> That's I mean, just my opinion because I was confused. Lau but... and Tom, did you get a, what did you make of the the enemies in this? 
Uh, do you want do you want to go first, Lau? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I liked the Baron in this film, and um, surprise, surprise, um, I don't think he got enough airtime. <laughs> the Baron is a really complex. Well, is he that complex? It's complex enough. An interesting character. He's scary as well. The Baron is really actually quite scary. Mm. But I don't know how scared we were of this guy in the film. Um, there was one scene where he starts like rising out. That's what of I was going to say. What he does? Oh, what's that? Um, I don't know, man. I want one of those so bad. There's, a, there's days where I really do not want to get out of bed, and just having like some spine thing that just lifts me up. Oh, God, I gotta have one. I gotta have one. Yeah. Elon, Elon, please, please think about it. Gave me some real Voldemort vibes. Yeah. yeah. How how well do you think? Okay, so you said that he didn't have enough airtime, but how and like compared to the book, like what is the comparison to the books? Because this is a I completely didn't understand him. So please inform me. <laughs> I mean, he's a lot of this is about like you know the politics, right? So yeah. I think they cut it because they'd have to get into all the politics and they'd have to talk about uh, these other creature types called the mentats because a lot of his strategizing was via this mentat which was uh oh, i've forgotten his name now Piter. there you go who is also a very interesting character in, in his own right and it's it just was would have been too complex basically um they would have had to make the film longer to really give it the honor it deserves and right. and you would have been a lot more scared of the guy like you think of the way banos that was treated like if you read the book you kind of come across you it come he comes across with a certain kind of weight to him no pun intended like that you are genuinely scared of the guy of what he can do not just of him of what he can do i think yeah that was kind of unfortunately cut so you just had to accept that this was a bad guy and he's yeah, powerful he's just wanted to take a piece off the board and that piece was uh house of Trades. yeah i think what they lost a lot of his like kind of sinisterness and his plotting and his intelligence as well in in the book he's very like what he's very well thought out he uses a lot of underhanded tactics from what i remember reading um and i feel like in they they it in, in going back to that whole point about like cutting down content just to kind of deliver a more complete package in, in a shorter time um they to make him scary they just kind of went for like a almost like a gross out kind of fear like you look at him and he's this this is like a huge like slick shaven he looks a little bit like danny devito in that one episode of always sunny when he's covered in gel um <laughs> when he when he's crawling on the floor going i want to be pure like he looks a little bit like that and it's kind of that gross fear that like it's, it's not like a for me anyway it wasn't like a oh my god i'm terrified of that thing it's more like a oh that's really weird and uncomfortable and I, I think they did a really good job of conveying that kind of um discomfort i yeah. think um ra rather than just like a a cold kind of intelligent fear which right. which each, each to his own each, each to his own i think it was pretty good for the adaptation and they they i think just a little bit of that kind of um intelligence of him was maybe lost yeah i didn't i didn't get so much of that the more i listen to both you tom and Lau about the book i'm like this, this should have been a series yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like drinking game listen to this podcast and take a shot every time we say in the book in the um, book yeah <laughs> in the book like, this this sounds like it would have been like an epic series yeah 
it's, and it's going to um, happen. Ali, I was going to yeah. say is that the next <laughs> the next interpretation will be uh, a Netflix ten part season. Yeah, I feel like I'll just wait for the <laughs> for the series. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, in terms of themes, we always like to sort of touch on the themes. This is a very, it's a very complex story, if you haven't got that by now. There are some themes in there, and this is a story, politics, that uh, is incorporated in there. So as we were saying with the, I've forgotten the character's name, but the, the Baron, I'll go with the Baron. So I understood, so the Baron wanted to consolidate his power and making use of the, the planet Arrakis as a way to take off the pieces of the board, like I said, um, so to speak. And I, I kind of got that element of, uh, like I say, sort of the, the Game of Thrones-ness uh, of this. Um, but then there was also like that um, imperialism, I don't know, colonialism, the idea like we control all this, here's the planet with the resources that we need to make, make everything uh, move, go down there, forget the people <laughs> that are there, just take this over. Uh, mine this resource, send it back up. I thought that was quite still relevant uh, to this day. And um, there was a uh, a line in I think the opening monologue where Chennai, and we haven't even mentioned uh, Zendaya because she was barely in it, but she does have a line that uh, ends with a question of who will our next oppressors be? I felt that kind of imperialistic aspect to the film, again, still quite uh, relevant to today. Uh, an interesting one I wanted to to throw out uh, to people is this idea of fate because Paul is a character who sees the future essentially and his visions are correct he sees Duncan dying Duncan dies and he's seeing other things happen future and I'm sure that will be in the the other parts Um, what did you what did you all think about that aspect of the the question around fate and whether that that can change or just like uh, doomed to what what the future or is already set. Oh, I stumped everyone. <laughs> well, I don't feel like I'm qualified to answer because I was so confused. I was always about to jump in, but I guess I'll go for it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I I am typically not a big fan of kind of premonitions and like kind of future seeing stuff because I I feel like it limits a story in a way because. You're, you're even going to have two outcomes. You're going to have what transpired in the vision slash like future sight thing happens and you go, oh, okay, I guess that happened. Or it doesn't happen and you're either disappointed because like you kind of thought that was going to happen or you're confused because you're thinking, oh, how has he broken the future? Um, I I typically don't like them, but I, I think, I again, I have read half the book, not sure if anything changes, but I think it would have strengthened, strengthened uh, kind of, the intrigue and the mystery is to Paul's visions. If we'd seen a vision that didn't come true, or we'd seen a vision that he altered in some way, like let's say he saw, let's say he saw a vision of him getting stabbed by the Fremen warrior. Cause then that whole fight you're going like, Oh my God, like this is leading up to that vision. We think he's going to die. And then in a twist of fate, Paul like denies his own fate and kills him instead. And now you've got that extra level of, Oh my God, like, he managed to change fate. Like, mm. what else have we seen that that we think might come to pass? Maybe yeah, isn't maybe it? Like, not. can he change the future? Can he change his own future? Is he the master of his destiny? It offers so many more questions. But because we only saw visions of things, visions. yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, he's, we we either see visions of things that happen or things that we are guessing are going to happen at some point in the future. Yeah. So there's not much of an intrigue about what's going to happen if you're if you're shown the future and then that's kind of 
stone. You're like, oh, well, I guess that's going to happen. It's just a, then becomes a waiting game of waiting for that to happen. I think personally, if I was writing Dune, Frank Herbert, please take notes. But um, I would have a couple of visions that don't come true to kind of like mix it up a little bit and to keep the kind of readers slash watchers of the film slightly more engaged with this whole kind of visiony kind of thing. Um, I, I'm I'm really interested to hear what Lau thinks. So having having take a shot read the book <laughs> yes having read the book um, <laughs> um I, would I, say, <laughs> I would say that um that's uh, a really good point sometimes i think if you know what's coming you're, you're kind of locked in that situation where you have to really tell it well now seeing as we all know what's going to happen or if it doesn't happen yeah we're kind of confused so I, you know what? This is one aspect of the film I really liked, though. I liked looking at the visions of the future because for me it was kind of like, okay, this is where we could potentially go with this. This looks pretty cool. I liked the way they depicted the future visions, the, the, at least the ones that extend beyond part one in particular. So um, I think they did a pretty decent job in that respect. But I guess you always do have the risk of confusing folk. And then there's already so much going on already in the film itself so uh i don't know it's, i, I kind of give him a pass though because <laughs> on this particular point because i'm obviously like keen to, to see how they depict some of these major major ideas themes and um plot points but yeah that's my take on that bit to be honest okay sound like customer service on this occasion <laughs> <laughs> yeah dear sir madame dear frank <laughs> Well, I mean, as I mentioned at, at the top, this is a film that has done well and well enough to get a green light. And I think that was part of the risk in taking the strategy of of only telling part of the story that, you know, your film doesn't do well enough to warrant a, a second one and you have a an unfinished film. But there is a green light, so a part two will come. Um, and uh, as I understand, it will delve into Paul's rise as a powerful force and influence over the Fremen Fremen, Freeman, Fremen, Fremen, Fremen. Uh, his relationship with Chennai, the reality of Paul's visions of genocide, Jessica's pregnancy, which Paul another um, thing he got right, so he's like you know, two for two there, um, and the escalating conflict between the Fremen uh, and the Harkonnen, and the fate of Paul in the prosperity of Arrakis, as well as the uh, Dune verse, and that's a quote from this uh, PCR. But so I think, like I said, I think we're gonna have to pause on judging the whole story because we haven't seen we literally haven't seen the whole story and then in whatever future where we get the part two put them together and then judge why well, i even though i didn't get everything like i said the cinematic experience i felt was just great and i have confidence in the director both from a kind of skill because he's obviously a, a good director and his love for the subject matter that he can put it together into what i think will be a very good film so i'm going to put that out there it's on it's on record not that's my premonition is that <laughs> this will end up being a very Your good cool prediction <laughs> yeah yeah i see it like i see it right now this will be a very good film um we just gotta wait basically i think he's gonna go off script for this second one a fair bit that's mm. my prediction i'm not upset about that I think this first part basically reminded me that, okay, it's an, ad it's an adaptation. And I really had to kind of come to terms with that after the fact. And I did watch quite a few interviews with him mm. just kind of explaining his choices. Um, so, I, I mean, I've, I've said a lot of things that uh, might be seen as criticisms and some of them were, I guess. But 
<laughs> you did say meh quite like twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've got to be honest about how I felt, right? But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's only because I'm ting for this thing so much that you know I have to kind of highlight. Yeah, these are the bits, at least for me, that didn't land. Um, that landed in the other medium, and mm-hmm. I also understand the constraints. So I am actually quite interested in seeing part two, and I do think that you know. Above everything else, it's going to be an, a great experience. Yeah. Um, I'm just hoping that if he does one thing right, it's that he just gets those big movie moments. Because I think, um, like I said before, visuals are great, sounds great, but you know, I'm all about the story, man, and it really has to land at the end. And I really think the source materials, there's enough in there for him to really just snatch this thing. Yeah, no own goals, please. And, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I think as setups go, it's, it's a good start. I don't like have any predictions for the sequel because I feel like I need a grips on the first part. <laughs> but I have, I have a theory of the best way for me to enjoy the next June experience. I think I'm going to approach it. it. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to approach it by reading the first part of the book <laughs> that's a and, good idea and then making sure that i see the sequel in the cinema yes definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like they're my steps i feel like at least if i read the first i don't want to read the second half because i don't want any kind of expectations or but i feel like at least by reading the book i can just understand more of the world and how things work and then yeah going to the second film with more like background knowledge and also cinema i feel like that's entirely important yeah being in the place yeah i I think like i had the most interesting like after cinema discussion i've i've maybe had with like coming out of a film in recent memory because um i saw it with two other lads who are good mates of mine one of who hadn't read the book i had read half the book and the other guy had read the whole book so we each had a different perspective on it and we had this Mm. super interesting discussion afterwards about like kind of all our thoughts and feelings having had these kind of different like ideas of what we were going into almost yeah so yeah it was it was a really Going off off what you said earlier, Nigel, it was a really amazing like cinema experience, which is, I think not not to get too meta, but like that's kind of where cinema is going. I see like things like Avengers, um, things like um, Spider Man No Way Home. The they they are they're big cinema Hollywood blockbusters, events. but it's it's more yeah it's more events. It's more almost like a community. Like it makes mm. everyone feel united. Like everyone went and saw Spider Man No Way Home. Everyone watched tiger king on netflix there's certain like pieces of media which like kind of unite unite everyone together almost in in that way and i feel like dune did a fantastic job kind of uniting everyone and causing a real big buzz around it for a while just kind of having that spirit where you could talk with everyone about it because everyone has seen it so yeah i don't have many like predictions on how that's going to affect movies going forward i but i i'm kind of enjoying this kind of sense of community that movies have kind of gained again recently Definitely love that, but I think where Dune fails is that it's kind of like an only cinema experience. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas something like (laughs) Avengers, like watching it in the cinema and enjoying it as that big epic community event is great, but you can still watch it at home and have a great experience. (laughs) You you have to to be there. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, there's so much, uh, there's so many layers uh, in this in this start, which is still only a start of a story. But yeah, it's really an interesting discussion. I feel that's a good thing for story if there's an interesting discussion to be had, 
uh, then at some level, there's some interesting story, even if uh, you didn't get all of it, which I certainly didn't. So uh, let us know what you think of that. Um, our inbox is always open to feedback. Let us know your thoughts. If you saw it in a cinema, yeah, if you didn't, if you read the book, if you didn't, let us know. So before we get to the end of this episode, uh, I want to give out a storytelling tip. Each time we dive into the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. So it's a consideration from someone who also creates stories um, and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. And for today's episode, I wanted to discuss bringing your story to an end because obviously we've spoken about endings in this and Dune does have an abrupt ending to say the least. So we discussed some of the reasons for that in the episode, but it generally got me thinking about endings and the different ways you can bring your narrative to a close. So endings can be tricky uh, and they do have a major impact on how the audience remembers your story, if they remember it uh, at all. So it could bring together everything you set up before, or it could sour the experience, especially if it leaves the audience feeling uh, cheated in any way by an unsatisfyingly dramatic conclusion. But it is all subjective and it depends on many factors. So the genre, the target audience, uh, and the themes that you're laying out, uh, to name a few. And because we're talking about endings, I won't go into much detail with examples. I uh, don't want to spoil any of the stories, but just in general to say, that they don't always have to be happy endings. Feel sometimes when people are making the story want everything to work out. That doesn't need to be the case, but it does need to bring your story to a close in a satisfying way, whatever that means for your narrative. So even if your protagonist doesn't make it out alive, maybe what they fought for can still come to pass and leave your audience uh, satisfied by the conclusion. So there's no universal way to approach the ending, but something I like to have in mind when starting a story is how it ends. So it can sound counterintuitive, but while stories are usually experienced linearly, they are definitely put together anything but <laughs> linearly. Uh, so I personally like to know where I'm going with a story. So along with having some idea of the themes uh, and maybe the overall message, it just allows me to shape and structure the narrative so I can definitely or know that I'm delivering on those themes. So without that, I feel that you run the risk of writing yourself into a corner you can't get out of. So that doesn't mean the ending can't change. And with our latest release, Serious Through the Fog, uh, the ending I'd originally planned did shift and it changed as I began writing because I found a different message that I wanted to leave the readers with. So I worked towards that ending. But with our other stories, I've already mentioned The 11th Hour. I have a relatively good idea of where I want that to end. So I'll be working towards that over what will eventually be uh, three volumes where each volume represents a different milestone on the way to that ultimate end. Um, so I think there are different types of endings and I'll quickly touch on a few because I feel in future episodes uh, I might go into more in depth. But just to quickly recap what are uh, six different endings to consider when putting your story together. So number one, resolved ending, straightforward leaves no unanswered questions. So typically used for standalone series or for dealing with younger audiences where the expectations are different. Number two, you have your unresolved ending. So the kind of ending that leaves the audience wanting to know where the story goes for from here, kind of like Dune. Um, so this is usually done when adapting uh, only a portion of a novel 
I still say it's not much of an ending as a pause before continuing the story, which I very much feel uh, we have here with Dune. Number three, expanding ending. So it takes the form of uh, like an epilogue, uh, something like Lord of the Rings, where it shows you, you know, at the end, it shows you like what happens after all the, the main dramatic stuff uh, happens. Uh, number four, unexpected ending. That's your plot twist that your audience hopefully doesn't see coming. So you've got your unexpected ending, while surprising, still can be done to make sense and brings a satisfactory conclusion. Five, ambiguous ending. If anyone has seen Jordan Peele's twisted horror, Us does that really well. And I'll say no more there. But ambiguous ending leaves you reconsidering everything that you've watched or read up until that point. And I quite like these ones because it means it usually means you're left discussing the themes and finding different interpretations for that. And last, number six, is the tied ending, an ending that brings the story full circle. So it ends where it begins. And the challenge there is to make sure that you've, your audience has been taken on the journey and that something has changed. Otherwise, it can feel pointless if the journey just comes back to where it all began. So that is your tip for the episode. Something to consider. And like I said, I'll probably go into more detail into specific endings uh, in future episodes, depending on what stories we discuss. Uh, so we will be working on making videos for our storytelling tips and those will go up on YouTube. But in the meantime, you can always send us your own storytelling tips and we may read them out here on the show. Feedback at myamada.com uh, or join our Discord and let us know there. So that's our story tip. Uh, Tazzy, let's check in with our guests. <laughs> Let's get a bit of who you are and um, any news or projects you've got going on. So, Tom, we'll start with you. More about you, where we can find you. Well, I, I was... How far back do you want to go? I was born <laughs> once. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm a massive, massive gamer. Um, I, I grew up playing a bunch of uh, like classic, typical Xbox 360 boy games like Call of Duty and Halo and Skyrim and all that. Um, and when I came across a little horror game called Alan Wake one day, I got so enthralled in it and just completely lost in it and had this kind of epiphany where I was like, oh my God, someone made this. Like I'm playing this thing that someone made, this incredible story that I've just got completely lost in. I want to do that for someone else. I want to write a story that someone gets as lost in as I have got here. Um, so I, I ended up pursuing a career in uh, games narrative development. I did a degree specifically in narrative design for games and kind of put together a portfolio of a lot of game writing. I love Twine, I love Rempy and all that all that fun stuff, creating like fun interactive fiction. And yeah, the, the, the goal is to one day be a narrative designer for, for games. But uh, as of now, I'm currently pursuing my thing to do which is talking to lots of people and i'm a community manager for into games talk a little bit about what we do we're a not-for-profit service for the games industry as i believe i said earlier um we kind of support people through all different stages of pursuing a career in games so if you're a student we go out and do workshops in uh, schools and unis and colleges um, we ran this amazing program last year called virtual work experience where we directly connected uh, uh studio devs with college level students and got them to like set some fun like creative briefs and did these like week-long kind of like studio sessions almost with them that was really cool if you're a graduate we we uh host a bunch of talks in our discord server with developers who give from all different kind of disciplines within games we've got a real focus on like 
you don't have to be a programmer to make games. You don't have to be an artist to make games. You can be a storyteller or a designer or a producer or all kinds of all kinds of different roles. Or whatever I do, because I did. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you, we had uh, we had Nigel on last year as well. Um, we're we're a very small team of uh, of just about ten people. So sometimes we, yeah, we're 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 still kind of learning the ways of the industry ourselves, but. Um, that not not to kind of like shoot us down till um, when we held our careers fair last year we were front page on twitch more views than lemmy no big deal um and we're we're partnered with some amazing studios like media molecule and creative assembly and um all, 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 all the good stuff all the good stuff really so yeah if you're looking for a career in in games we can hopefully support you with that and uh specifically since we're talking about stories today one of the key things that I do as part of my job in the Intergames Discord server is put out bi-weekly creative briefs for some of the creative disciplines within games. So if you're a writer and you love writing stories and you listen to the Story X Story podcast and you've gathered a bunch of tips about how to write amazing games and you've just finished writing your notes down about how your story is going to end and you're starting to think, okay, how can I translate these skills into something that's presentable on a portfolio? Head along and join in with some of our uh, narrative design briefs. We, every two weeks we set like industry standard studio briefs that hopefully get you creating amazing portfolio pieces that you can show off to prospective employers um for like a wide range um this i mean i hate like time stamping this but it's february at the moment valentine's day is coming up so our most recent brief is all about writing stories for dating simulators so out maybe something that's outside a few people's comfort zone but we're challenging you to um write out some character bios um who represent different dating simulator archetypes and provide links and all that kind of stuff for you and for dialogue uh, writers we're getting them to write a like, use twine the uh, tool like branching narrative tool to write like a, a branching narrative dialogue for a gate a dating simulator so hopefully You'll sit. You'll like if you take part in enough of them, you'll gain like this massive repertoire that you can go to any games company and say like, "Hey, I have experience writing for all these different kind of genres. Whatever genre you're writing, here's bam, bam, bam. I've got like a bunch of different examples of me writing it in those styles." So, yeah, we're, we're our, our main goal is to help you. Um, and uh, we're we're a not for profit, so like a lot of the stuff we do is free and just like very easy we, we got a real focus on diversity as well like trying to get every kind of voice and people from every kind of background the opportunity and the resources that they need to get into the games industry um and yeah just just hop into the intergames discord server and say hi and the, the difficulty is getting me to shut up i think <laughs> i just i just have everyone for, for the longest time ever and i'm just super into games so come in and talk to me about what games you like to play and what games you like to make and what story you're writing at the moment and i'll be very interested oh no that sounds really great and now so uh for those of you that don't know me i am the former what was i actually when i was working at maya matter but basically shadow master master, but uh, formerly uh, yeah i was um working within my matter alongside nigel these days um i'm i don't know what i'm doing with myself these days to be honest I'm just doing a regular nine to five in it but um <laughs> uh but yeah so there's not really too much uh going on on my side i i think these days i've just been focusing on consuming stories and i've really enjoyed that process of not necessarily creating them but just kind of observing i think i might be becoming a bit of a critic 
um, <laughs> based on today's podcast. So who knows? I don't know if I'll go down that route, though, to be honest. Because, um, but um, yeah, definitely getting back into gaming as well. So um, other than that, I, you know, you'll find me on this podcast most likely when I'm ever invited back. Uh, so yeah, look out for that. Mm, definitely, definitely uh, June part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, finish your thoughts on that one. So that one's a definite, um, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll we'll have you on again before then. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, thank you both for uh, for coming and giving us your perspective, especially as people who have actually read the book and can say, well, in the book with authority. So well, have uh, you heard that we've read the book? Us, us two <laughs> have read. I, I think that means yeah, we're better than saying, everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It, it puts you above that that rank. I think that makes you the host of this podcast, actually. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, no, thank you for that. And uh, if you have enjoyed uh, listening to this episode of Story X Story, make sure that you subscribe and give us a five star rating and review. It helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Don't forget to check out our own stories on the My Matter website. We have a number of titles available, including the latest release, Serious Through the Fog. You can also join uh, our Discord community and check out our Studio 77 membership for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the My Matter universe. And something that uh, you will be hearing again, our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign is now live. So we're launching this campaign for future generations of talent so they know there is a place for them in video games and also helping to empower them to be an active part of shaping the future of the games industry so uh, looking to well, we're looking to do that a series of events uh, working with people liking to games like other organizations in the industry uh, so check out the photo campaign that features 40 players and makers and keep an eye out for news on campaign events and how you can get involved uh, so we are back recording the podcast this is episode one of i don't know how many episodes we do in a year but episode one of that number we release new episodes on thursdays that include creator interviews video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture you can always give us a shout directly our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story thank you for tuning in until next time stay safe and make sure you read the book too because apparently that makes you a better person take care everyone <laughs>